Welcome to Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! special show this is very important to me you know this is very i even got a haircut yesterday okay let me tell you how important this is david rogers webb is going to be talking to us about the great taking this is you got the great reset the great taking it's the same thing this is something that we have now i'll do a little introduction on on him here just to, i'll throw it right to david everybody's complaining oh no ernie's gonna talk all right no 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 we're gonna get right to david now he has a lot of experience investigating and analysis of you know deceptive environments, including the mergers and acquisitions boom of the eighties, venture investing, investing, public financial markets. He managed hedge funds through the period spanning the extremes of the dot com bubble and bust, producing a gross return of more than three hundred and twenty percent, while the S P 500 NASDAQ indices had losses. His clients include some of the largest international institutional investors. Now, the point that I want to make is that there is a great deal of information here that we want to make sure that we get. But it's a confirmation of things that many of us suspected or knew. And I want to make sure that we understand and are prepared for what's coming any Monday. One day, it's going to be Monday, and it happened over the weekend, and man, it could be this Monday. And we'll go over some of the news and things that are going on. But first, I want David to introduce himself, but I'm more interested in who you are, what you are, not by how many initials are after your name, but how you were brought up your morals, why you decided to retire, live in Sweden on a farm. It's going to be a food thing kind of deal. So go ahead and give us some of your character background, what made you you as a younger man or even a child. Please, David, go. Yeah. Well, that is, I am different. I do think differently. Um, I, I, I write about this in the prologue. I think one of the ways we can know things is through living memory. It's certainly not by listening to the media. It's, it's things you can know yourself through direct experience. 
and also things you can know through other people that have firsthand experience. And these these things uh, tend to fall off the table, uh, sometimes almost immediately. <laughs> so uh, we, we, we have to trap those things. I, um, uh, I think um, uh, early on, what was important for me was my, uh, my grandmother really spent the most time with me in my early years you know my parents were there but the the old have time for the young and my grandmother was a nurse who went with my grandfather who was a surgeon into the first world war the first u.s medical unit into the war so early it was before the u.s had entered the war and um she sat by my bedside every night and told me about things. And um, she, she, uh, as I, as I say, she was a Montessori school. She also, she made me a very capable little boy. By the time I was three, I was making tea and washing windows. And uh, uh, I, I, she, but, but the things I've realized as an adult, she was really warning me. She was preparing me. Uh, and uh, she um, would talk, for example, among all the all these stories, it was kind of like these uh, fairy tale stories that aren't sugarcoated about real things that really happened. And uh, she talked about uh, being in the tents, hearing the bombs dropping. She didn't really talk about the scale of the carnage, but I have all of her things. I've been through, I, I have 25 boxes of material and family history, um, uh, photographs, diaries, business documents, things spanning more than a hundred years. And so I have her things and I, um, I know that they were dealing with a, well, as anyone could know, if they know the history, the carnage in the First World War was um, uh, just just mind-boggling. So their facility had uh, 3,000 beds, which would seem to be quite large. But where where was more, she during this time? She was in uh, Rouen, which was kind of a center for... Um, hospital facilities Rouen in um, what country I, I don't I'm not familiar with that in, in France in France in France, in France right. so they they were this they were really treating they were really uh nursing the British troops at that point because the U.S. hadn't entered the war yet and she was from the Canadian side of the lake uh she considers herself a British subject of course at that point and my my grandfather was from uh, Western Pennsylvania, so they went into this together. And I know that it marked them. Um, you can't go through something like that uh, with without being marked by it. And of course, they came back from the war. And um, one of the stories I mentioned in the book to explain how profound the deflation the bus can be 
So my, my grandfather bought three housing lots in Shaker Heights, which is, uh, you know, was a posh suburb of Cleveland. Uh, he bought those in 1923. And through the 20s, those would have gone up fantastically in value. And then the stock market crashed in 29. And I think he was probably glad he hadn't sold the lots and put the money in the stock market. Then in 1933, the banks were all closed. And I'm sure he was glad he hadn't sold the lots and put the money in the banks. But um, where this is going is that my grandmother, his widow, sold those lots in 1953, 30 years later, for a third of what he had paid for them mm. in 1923. This is how profound the price level bust is or can be after a massive bubble. Um, and further, you know, of course, everybody thinks of Cleveland as being an absolute wreck and basket case at this point. But in the 1950s, Shaker Heights was statistically the wealthiest suburb in the country. So that tells you a lot. And I have other examples like that just from business papers of how profound the price uh, level drop was uh, after decades. And I, I would say that the, um, the financialization, the bubble and the bust are intrinsic to what I call the great taking. Um, this is this so is, uh, please go ahead and finish your thought. Well, so in the when I started getting concerned about this, when I was managing these hedge funds in the aftermath of the Asian financial crisis, so in in the late 90s and what what um, I noticed was the market started because I handled all the trading and I had a very good sense for it. And I could see that there were odd things happening in terms of the movement of the markets and other things. In other words, things that didn't make sense in terms of <laughs> real, real fundamentals or news or economics. And so I started looking into now, the this is, scale give the time of, period for this. So people are following you. The late, the late 90s, okay. the late 90s. So this is before the dot com bubble. So, uh, for example, uh, one one thing they were mentioning was the scale of the Treasury purchases by the Bank of Japan. And they were saying that. Well, they had to make these enormous purchases to recycle the trade surplus into U.S. treasuries. So I decided to look into that, and I found that the scale of the treasury purchases, even at that point, was on the was an order of magnitude larger than any trade surplus that Japan had with the U.S. So it was already starting at that point. And that, I believe, is because the velocity of money had actually started rolling over at that, uh, at that point. And um, velocity is the number of times that a unit of currency is spent within a period of time. 
Now, if you imagine that you have a finite amount of money, um, the, uh, the, in order to come up with money, you have to sell something, a product or a service. And um, that puts a, a downward pressure on price levels or holds, holds price levels constant. Um, and then you invent a, a kind of magic where you can create money out of thin air that you introduce into the system. Now, to begin with, that has in, in, incredible velocity. Uh, projects will get done that wouldn't have been done otherwise. That money is taken in and spent and spent and spent again. So in the when I did a money and banking course, probably around 1980, somewhere in there, um, it, in my textbook, it talked about velocity being maybe six or seven times. So... What was beginning to happen in the late 90s is this relation, this ratio inverted where the amount of money being created by the central banks was now many, many times the economic growth that was resulting. So by the, um, by the fourth quarter of 99, the Fed was growing money at a 40% annual rate. Now this is on an economy that's maybe growing at three or 4%. So again, an order of magnitude larger. Now, so I started um, really paying attention to this and studying it. Uh, and I found that in individual weeks, the Fed was creating money that was um, maybe over a percent of GDP in a week. Um, so very, um, I, I realized that this was not transmitting into the real economy. It couldn't be. This was going into a financial bubble. And I would say if I knew this in real time, Alan Greenspan certainly knew that they huh. were doing this at that point. Yeah. Um, so so it was it was completely knowable now i believe what i believe um uh, so i so i started i started looking at this trying to find a historical um time period like this and discovered that this was exactly what was happening leading up to world war 1 coming out of the 19th century leading into world war 1 uh, Milton Friedman, who did a monetary history of the United States, who was the foremost expert on the history of uh, monetarism, he he um, uh, talks about this that it was certainly the case. So, um, okay, well, let's stop, this... stop there for a second. I want to I want to ask you know something about that very thing. When you talk yeah. about you know uh, this happening, I'm wondering um, with. That, you're talking prior to the Federal Reserve, right? Yeah. Well, so, the so Fed did they do that? Actually, not quite. It was yes, it was happening. You see, the monetary power at that point was the Bank of England. This was a British Empire phenomena. the The Fed became the tag team partner to the Bank of okay. England. So, so they, the they monetary, did, it worked over here. Let's do it over there where the real money is. Yeah, the baton was passed. Right, okay. You know, Paul Orberg came over and they created the Federal Reserve. 
uh, with a number of objectives. Uh, but but the collapse in the velocity was really happening to the foremost global power at that point, Britain. And um, within just a few years, the Qing dynasty collapsed, even though you would think that was far removed from the, the Western banking system. But this was a global phenomenon. The Qing dynasty collapsed, Austro-Hungarian Empire, the Turk-Ottoman Empire, the Russian Empire, the German economy was totally destroyed, and the British Empire began collapsing, hence the necessity to create the tag team partner, which was <laughs> the the Fed, which was um, uh, created on essentially on Christmas Eve of 2013, a couple of days before Christmas in 2013. Wow. And the First World War began, um, uh, you know, eight months later. Um, okay, without going too deep into the weeds here, the collapse of these empires was it due to this was this the cause was that a side effect was the velocity of money and them passing this you know empire 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 boom now let's go get marca where we make some real money and do some real gleaning of a middle class that had been created by industrialization so i'm just wondering when you say these empires went was it due to this? And they were just picking the carcass of the planet. You know, yeah. give me some kind of well, I, correlation. I believe, I mean, I've studied this and worked with it and applied it, you know, in in how I managed the, the funds I was managing. So this wasn't just academic for me. I actually figured out how to use the understanding of this. But so... I haven't just read about this. I've used it. But but my philosophy about um, what happened then uh, in, in the early 20th century and what's happening now is that um, this power to create money uh, and to lift all boats, so to speak, this awesome power, um, it, it is a very low energy social control system. So it does not require overt physical control over people. As we know, people chase the money. They yeah. chase their money incentives. So it works um, quite well and for decades, but ultimately it reaches a point where it starts breaking down. And that was what was happening leading into the 20th century. That's what was happening in the late 90s. And then what you see clearly is that the money creation increasingly goes into things that do not help the economy. In fact, they hurt the economy. And it, it becomes, um, uh, you, you, you have money going into, of course, financial bubble, which creates instability, um, and also into warfare, which we've seen big time, which was really kicking off right around that time also. Um, so we are, we are now in a global hybrid war. This is the, uh, the imperative for humanity is to understand this and to stop it 
because if we don't, we are in open-ended hybrid war for a long, long time. Open-ended meaning no time limit, meaning it's everywhere. It's in your mind because of all the psychological operations. That is an important part of the control system. And it's promised to be in our bodies increasingly. So it's uh, the 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 monetary phenomena, I think, is the underlying reason for the escalating hybrid war in which we find ourselves. Okay, this is where I was hoping we would get to. To understand what's happening, this is a great deal of a philosophical thing than just math. You know, it's a psychological thing that we go through. You know, the the fourth turning, uh, you know, this happens in this and this and this and this. And being someone of finance, numbers, economics, you look at this and you're going, you know, these cycles begin and end with certain things. It's they, them, those, whoever they are, the ones won't leave me alone. They want, you know, you got it and it's mine now. I so say it this year paper. And. By doing that and the psychological controls that are necessary to allow them to do it because, you know, some guy with a pointy hat put a crown on somebody or uh, somebody pulled the sword out of a stone or something. I have right to, you know, prima nocte and, you know, have sex with the bride on wedding night because it says, you know, this is the kind of thing. It's, it's a psychological thing. And as they do that, it goes to the next thing to be able to maintain that control. Then the next thing to be able, and it deletes and depletes their resource. Then, you know, they got more taxes. So I am looking at this that we can understand what's really happening. And correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm kind of starting to hear what you're saying. There are cycles. There are stages by which this happened, which are always has a financial, economic, you know, what's yours is now mine because I can thing. You know, how far off am I? Um, it's about control, though. The thing that I try to point out to people is they don't need your stuff. They don't need your money. They can create unlimited amounts of money. So yeah. it's not about taking your stuff. It is about subjugation. Which it means, okay, I want to I want to dwell on that for a moment. It's not so much about taking your stuff and doing whatever because they got enough that they can just print it and steal it and whatever, and I got an F-16. I get that. But it's about you not having it so you can be subjugated, so you can be yes. controlled. This hour of Free Talk Live is brought to you by Dash Digital Cash. Dash is the cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. In addition to being one of the world's first cryptocurrencies, Dash was the first crypto project to have a decentralized autonomous organization that to this day continues to improve and promote Dash. Every month, 10% of the mining rewards go into a treasury. Anyone with one Dash to spend can put forward a proposal to the Dash masternodes. The masternodes vet the proposals and decide which ones move forward and are funded by that treasury. Nowadays, DAOs are plentiful, but Dash paved the way by doing it first nearly a decade ago. Dash is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges, including the decentralized Maya Protocol and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use Dash. Start by learning more at Dash.org. 
Thanks to the Dash DAO for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org. And now, from the studios of Freedoms Phoenix, Ernest Hancock. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back to Declare Your Independence with me, Ernest Hancock, on the Free Talk Live Network on Genesis. We are talking with David Webb, the author of The Great Taking, thegreattaking.com. This is very important information. The three hours that we got to talk, we went an extra couple of hours than normally we would do on a subject like this, that uh, I wanted to make sure that I got to express myself, David got to tell everything that he knew, and that we got to put in context just how enormous, worldwide importance, enormous this subject is. Any financial instrument that you have in the stock market, derived from indexes on the stock market, and, and it's gone. Okay, I just it's no more complicated than that. This great reset has been decades, generations in the making so that when it's triggered, uh, it's not yours anymore. It be theirs. Who's them? They them those. So we want to go ahead and make sure you get all this information. Now, the unedited version to try and put that all into this one show, I want to do my best, but I'm telling you. You want to get the whole thing. You go to freedomsphoenix.com. At the top right, you'll see Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. And you scroll down to the show date of December 10th, no, December 11th, 2023. And you'll see David Webb, um, the, the show there. And we'll have in that archive links to the unedited show, the full length. Now you can, you know, search on the, Show by guest on the right side. You go down, show by guest, and look up David Webb. It'll be there. So to have the entire show, but we're making sure in this version you get enough to understand what is going on. What you do about it's up to you. But you need to understand in the context of what's happening, where this planet is going, and at the direction of they, them, those, or who, or what. So... That's why this is important to me. We came across this well 15 years ago, and it just built up to then to have it confirmed and then have someone that was inside, a hedge fund guy doing mergers and acquisitions, meeting with guys like Soros and so on, to go, you know what, I see what's going on, and document it. That you can go through the bibliography and find out every little old thing. I have one friend, uh, the economic truth, John Snyzen, used chat GPT, of all things, to have access to all of this information. A lot of times you can't find it. You don't know what the title is or whatever. But if you can get some phrases or you can get a paragraph or you can get a quote out of it, then you can go find it. And he did. And this stuff is all real, which is what's scaring people. And it should scare you. David Webb, The Great Taking. It's about control, though. The thing that I try to point out to people is they don't need your stuff. They don't need your money. They can create unlimited amounts of money. So it's not about taking your stuff. It is about subjugation. Which it means, okay, I want to I want to dwell on that for a moment. It's not so much about taking your stuff and doing whatever because they got enough that they can just print it and steal it and whatever, and I got an F-16. I get that. But 
It's about you not having it so you can be subjugated, so you can be yeah. controlled. Because the thing yeah. is, is what I felt was the big thorn, the big obstacle, the big hurdle for, you know, this this dominance for whatever reason, because they want, because they can. You know, I, I the only way I can explain it, because they can. And then they're going to do it until they can't, okay? And the best way to do that is to eliminate the opposition, which is what? which is a prosperous middle class, a prosperous people. America, the United States of America, is so prosperous due to the individual relative freedom with the rest of the planet, which made us, the middle class, so rich. And your Cleveland you were talking about, which there were a lot of wealthy places. In fact, the American populace was very wealthy. You, The amount of hours that you would put in to sustain a family, mom stayed, her dad stayed at home. You had, you know, children that were like you on a farm. You had the input of your grandmother. All I mean, America, very powerful because of that. What happens is how do you control that? You can't. Yeah. You know, so they had to attack that. Now you're now you know, I just I don't want to put words in your mouth, but you know, let me make this statement and see how close I am. You're advocating that the goal is not how big a stack of cash of McDuck rolling around in gold coins. That was not the point. The point was control for your own good, by the way, because we love you, you know, but that, you know, the control of humanity, no less than that planetary control because sociopaths gravitate towards the levers of power. And we're going to do it because we can, and we're going to do it because you're going to let us. So, they control people, and part of that process to be able to control is the punishments and incentives of control. And a lot of that doesn't work if you have the resources, if people have money, if they have options, which is another word for freedom. So you can buy your freedom, which means you can buy your options to do a lot of things. They want to take that away. You want to see the future of a society, you see what's rewarded and what's punished. Well, productivity is punished and dependence and disability and sitting on my buttism is rewarded. This creates a controlled society. So what you're talking about, what we'll get into with the mechanisms by, by which they did this, is for control. And one of the best ways to control a population, the planet, is to make sure they don't have the resources to prevent the control. How far off am I? No, that's all absolutely right. I'd, I'd add, I, I recently read uh, Friedrich Hayek's uh, Road to Serfdom that uh, I believe was my grandfather's book. It was printed in 1944, so before the war actually ended. And Hayek is talking about the intellectual continuity through communism and uh you know, uh, Bolshevism and socialism and national socialism. But what he's really concerned about is all of the leading intellectuals in economics in Britain are also cut from the same cloth. And this is 1944. So he's warning that, well, the war, the war is going to end here, but we're going into an extension of exactly the same thing that the uh, National Socialists were doing in Germany. It's the same intellectual framework. 
And this this framework is basically that um, individuals cannot be allowed to operate uh, autonomously, that we have to have central planning, we have to have a a public good, which is undefined. And um, uh, Hayek talks about this, that the real world is so complex that central planning really does not work. The idea that it, and we know this from looking at failed totalitarian (laughs) systems, you know, it does not work, yet they persist in this because it's actually not about efficiency. It's not about making people better off. It is, uh, in fact, they are very happy to um, hurt people and break things. To what end? Why you know for the, its sake or or there's something there's a goal here. Well, it's very un, unfortunately it's very deep in um, humanity this uh, tendency, and we'll get into the specifics of what is being done now. Yeah, no, no, but, we'll get the, I, the I, okay. So I you go all the way back to uh, Prometheus Bound, which was written several hundred years BC. And in this allegory by Aeschylus, uh, Zeus represents totalitarian power. And Zeus has decided to destroy humanity. Sounds familiar. And, and for what reason? Well, no reason, just decided to destroy humanity. But uh, Prometheus loved humanity and saved humanity with the gifts of fire, which most people know, but also of the arts, which is basically the human spirit, the the soul, the spirit. And for this, Zeus uh, had Prometheus chained to a rock and appeared every day to eat his liver out Mm. every day. For 30,000 years. Um, Now, so Zeus is appearing in the form of an eagle. This is why the the eagle was chosen as the standard for Rome. It is a conscious choice. And I think we know of some other places that have chosen the eagle as a symbol. Also, this is not an accident. Well, I'll bet you popular support for that wasn't for that reason, but I understand your point. (laughs) It is. Well, my my point is this is an ancient, ancient problem. Um, And that's uh, that's one thing that I I wanted to make clear, and I appreciate you uh, agreeing to take you know, uh, more time with this, we, you know, at least a couple of hours. We'll go all freaking day till you're boring or bored. I don't care. But the, the, the thing is, is that the reason I needed the extra time was for this, this conversation. We can talk about all the details and everything. And I've been screaming it for decades and whatever and so on. Doesn't matter. You have to understand why. So, you know, they did. Why? They're just crazy. Yeah, sometimes, you know, they're sociopath. Yeah. You know, they're, you know, pathological liar. This kind. Yeah. They're psychopath. Yeah. I mean, you know, they're we create these positions of government and institutions and shiny badges and NGOs, all this stuff to protect us from those people. And then those people 
put on the shiny badge. And they go, now we're in charge. Oh, gee, that worked out, you know. So when you read these things, you know, like, um, you know, the, the Hazlick and, you know, the, you know all, all of these books, you know, Mises and Rothbard and on and on and on and on. How can you not be anti-centralization of just about anything or anti-government or are you libertarian, anarchist, voluntarist? I mean, do, do you brand yourself any kind of philosophical position? I mean, I'm not talking about parties and that crap, but, you know, a, a, how would you describe yourself to a neophyte that you know, wouldn't understand? Because you got to define well, the definition. You know, Hayek is very sensible. He talks all around this and says, look, planning is essential. We have to have planning for things like roads, uh, you know, societal objectives. The difference, it's a very bright line. Is it benevolent or is it malevolent? It's being done. That's what it comes down to. Okay, now that's the question. Can a central plan collective for the common good ever maintain a benevolent structure that's the point well you have you just have to you have to also value autonomy in making economic decisions nothing can the fluidity of people having complete freedom to make all of their economic and personal decisions um, that should be very clear um, and that's what that's what allows real efficiency in terms of serving human yep. needs. And what um, made America unique. That was the promise. That's why this show is called Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock, because the Declaration of Independence really spoke to me because it said the purpose of government is the defense of individual rights. If it doesn't do that, it's time to alter or abolish. It's your right, your duty. And I'm going Sign me up. I mean, you know, the whole purpose of government is to defend against these intrusions on your personal liberties. If they're the one doing it, allowing it, creating uh, monopolies due to lack of competition, if you're not allowed to regulate it out of for the benefit of our friends of blah, 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 then why are they there? So I'm I'm trying to get I, I just ask you this before we continue. Do you believe that and I know in your um, your video presentation and, of, I, of course, what else are you going to say? But this needs to be done legally. Does that include it has to be done legally and peacefully? Because legally it can be, you know, whatever they say it is or we say. I mean, it keeps changing. But, you know. The change, I'm like, we're going to fix it. We're going to vote harder. We're going to something. And I'm like, it's, no. you can't fix it. It's already fixed. So, oh, no, you can't. I, I agree. You know, the, the, uh, some, someone compared our democracy to the child's steering wheel in the back seat of the car. Right. Where, you know, you think you're, you're, you're doing something. It, uh, so we, we know globally democracies are are false at this point they're not functioning and uh many of the court systems were uh have been um uh somehow taken over and controlled so it it is it is um it is a tough thing now to figure out how to um 
how to begin addressing things, but it, it just begins in one jurisdiction. And this is one advantage of the United States with 50 states. Yeah. I mean, if you have an attorney general who becomes personally galvanized to do something, um, if you have judges that become personally outraged, that say, bring the case to me, I will hear that case. Um, that and the same thing can be done in Europe. You know, the EU is just, uh, you know, uh, uh, horrible. You know, the lack of, um, you know, any any accountability to the public. Um, it's totalitarianism. So it has to there has to be a kind of potency that recovers in individual nation states. Um, but that will that will only happen by people realizing there is nowhere to hide from this. You know, when I go through this stuff with people, their first step is they actually, uh, they realize that this is true, what I'm going to explain here, and that it's irrefutable. And then their first reaction is panic. How can I hide? You know, where do I run? How can I protect my investments? The very difficult thing to hear is you can't. And what does that mean? We're we're reaching um, in the fullness of time. Peak corruption. Profound <laughs> turning point. Profound turning point for humanity. And this comes back to some things you were touching on, Ernest, where we, we divide and rule works very well. You know, people don't care if uh, somebody's being hurt in another country, even quite innocent people, if it, they think it makes their gasoline cheaper. You know, it's it's horrible. The U.S. has gone on like that, hurting people all over the world with indifference in the U.S. public. Reprehensible, really. It's coming home to roost now. But here, here is the the positive by hurting pursuing this logic of total control and because they've had such a um unchallengeable position here there's been uh as i say the garden hasn't been pruned so all these different psyops have run out of control all these different intelligence operate intelligence agency operations uh, globally. Um, there, there, uh, there is no, no oversight on this. And we, we, um, and I'll get into explaining how this great taking has been taken to a, a global level. But what that means is that uh, all people everywhere uh, all the way to the top of the system, so including the very wealthy, all the way to the top, um, will be injured at the same time. Yep. That means that divide and rule breaks down. It's enormous what has happened just in the last few years. And, of course, it was, oh, my God, before then. I remember Bill Bonner and Addison Wiggins, when they did Empire of Debt about derivatives and so on, about 2005 and six. they're estimating, they're going, now this is like you know, 80, you know, 
trillion dollars that we're going to owe of whatever when this comes crashing. And that was an itty-bitty amount. That's why we had, you know, uh, one sign that we did. Mommy, a little Gerber baby logo up there. Mommy, what's a quadrillion dollars? Revolution. That's a quadrillion dollars. So this is so obvious how bad this is, and it's ramped up so quickly. Now, this was my concern, and I want to I want to read this from um, this article I wrote, and it's just a paragraph, but it goes into what I want to talk about. In July of 2008, when I, just from, you know, scratching the surface on different things, started to realize that everything in the stock market, New York Stock Exchange, whatever, it was really this deposit trust corp thing, you know, that um, you didn't have stocks that were traded, and you go into this. And it, you didn't have a stock certificate. Like, my, I remember my, my grandmother-in-law, you know, she was, like, invested in IBM and AT&T in the 60s where, you know, had the paper and freaking it's worth some money now, okay? So that was private property. Now you get into where, eh, we just want to have, you know, numbers that we can just trade electronically and make it easy and fast and get this velocity thing going. Well, one of the other things that they did is during the how before the housing bust— is you never really, you know, the, the the banks didn't have the mortgage. They they filed it with this thing called MERS, um, mortgage electronic, whatever the heck. It was made it a number that they traded. It's how this big short thing happened. So you could we started following all this stuff. You never really owned anything. In fact, they say it even on your bank or your checking account. It'll go and uh, it's kind of your money, but you can't have it now. Oh, we're going to haircut you. We're going to this and that. Property ownership, the protection of property rights, which is a legitimate function of a government, in my opinion. If you're going to have them, if you're not, they're not going to do that, then what the heck are they for? Just to steal it, you know, for the bad guys for you? So this was so obvious to me that you didn't really own anything. Initial public offering really went to New York Stock Exchange to this DTC Corporation, if you just had some kind of use, buy, sell, almost beneficiary rights of something, I'm like, whoa, 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 bottom line, do I have the ownership, the property right protected in my hot little hand? Yes or no? It's like gold, silver, you know, I, I you know, no, not real, but that's just how it works. And so it go, works better. That's so, that's so, that's so. And I, mean, I don't give a crap what your excuses are, but when it comes down... It's going to be all at once, and it's going to be a bank holiday, weekend, Friday, and all of a sudden it's Monday thing. And to think it hasn't happened before, it has, to the tune, 33, they say, yep, and turn in all your gold. So this is where I want to go, the mechanism by which that they've done this. July 2008, I came to the realization, bottom line, I am of the opinion that we have all been the victims of the largest robbery in human history. Computer technology allowed for the creation of electronic counterfeiting that allowed for the nearly unlimited pillaging of every form of financial instrument used in America and in much of the world. Pensions, retirement funds, 401ks, money market funds, government or municipal, and the relatively new financial instrument called derivatives. 
It's all gone. It's not an if thing. It's an already happened thing. Now the banking system will do its best to control the news and who gets the blame by leading the investigation of the crime that they were very much involved in and profited from. Things are going to get much worse than I ever feared. That was my conclusion as I'm not David Webb in July of 08. Three months later, the financial crisis hit, and I'm like, here we go. Then they papered over it, and now we're faced with here it comes. In your documentary, The Great Taking, that you're seeing the book up here, there was like an hour, hour and a half documentary, you know, kind of talking about the book. And then the book, which I ordered, now I'm going, okay, in there, you talk about how the 50, all 50 states, in just a couple of years were able to make changes in universal commercial code or whatever, you know, machinations and passed and did and whatever to create and solidify this happening. When it goes, it's going to be everybody. So don't you the crimes of the Eleutheromania. The insatiable desire for freedom. It's the new three-song heavy metal EP from Captain Kickass. Available now on your favorite music app or get it directly from CaptainKickass.com. Welcome to Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have a difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Let us make them remember. We are not No fear, no fear, but we are relatively concerned. What we need to do to eliminate our fear is to have an understanding of the truth of things. Uh, we know the truth. Dot online. <laughs> Go check it out. And David Webb is here to explain why he wrote the book, The Great Taking, thegreattaking.com, and is promoting the concept that if you're invested in the stock market, if you have a mortgage, if you have documentation that goes on up by a certificate of uh, stock. No fear, no fear, no fear, but we are relatively concerned. I mean, relative to what? I, death, not and destruction concerned. This is such an important show that I hope that you'll share it and go and listen to the unedited version of the full length. I got 
everything I could to give you the gist of the important part of our conversation with David Webb. But I wanted to share this with you guys because it is of such great importance to understand the retirement that you're counting on, your pensions, your 401ks, your municipal bonds, your you know stock certificates you think you got a property right in, it's all gone. It's been already done. It's not a going to happen thing. It's an already happened thing. And David Webb has been confirming things that we've been warning, warning of for over 15 years and longer. Here we go. You talk about how the 50, all 50 states... In just a couple of years, we're able to make changes in universal commercial code or whatever, you know, machinations and passed and did and whatever to create and solidify this happening. When it goes, it's going to be everybody. If you don't have it in your freaking duck rolling around little hands, it is not yours. And it's going to go somewhere else to to the bank of they, them, those. Thank you for playing. Everybody all in? You all in? Thank you for playing. It's ours now. How far off am I? Oh, that's very accurate. Yeah. I think think you had a very good intuitive sense (laughs) to know that in, in 2008. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's pretty accurate. Hey, thank you. You know, you know how hard it is, you know, to convince any, I mean, well, you probably do because you know, how hard it is to convince people, especially those that benefit from the system. It's working for them. I'm a gazillionaire. I go, yeah, this week I'm telling you, you got, so I just been screaming to my audience cause I, I'm not, I don't know. I I've done stock market and it got so, it's not. Logical. I'm, I'm done. Silver. I, silver. What are you going to do, silver? Bob, what are you going to do, silver? Why? Because I understand that. It's mine. Yeah. Try and take it. I mean, you know. And then it's not stored somewhere. It's not in some ETF. It's not, you know, this. Uh, well, like, I, I, I tell you this. I have a close family member that is a VP at Moody's. Finally, when the thing went, you know, in 08, he decided he's going to read Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> Wall Street's all reading Atlas Shrugged then, man. They're all Atlas Shrugged up. And then he started, he goes, yeah, I think I probably should get some physical silver. What he found out is he couldn't. You know, the assets that he had in some retirement or this or that, you can't, yeah, you can do this kind of ETF. You kind of sort of almost, you can call it silver, but you don't get it. And I'm going, what does yeah. that tell you? Okay. So this is, I for my audience, my family, my friends, this is why this was so important to me to talk to you, David. Will you please, in your own words, explain if I'm full of crap, you know, or he's full of crap, and say it. I don't care. But to encourage them that what they think they got can be gone in a weekend, okay? It's done. It's not going to happen. It has already happened. And if they don't have the physical... It's gone. I mean, maybe if you have paid off land, you're 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 better off than yeah. usual. But what 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 would you say to my listeners, readers, followers, family, friends, of what where we are and what's the best way to hedge the risk? Again, I think you had a very good intuitive understanding because I wouldn't disagree with anything you've said. And I think there are things you can do to not be the first to fall, so to speak. 
you know, to to sell things and pay off your debt, to have physical things. But as I said earlier, my real message with the book, I don't it's not an investment advice book because All the right. point is much bigger than that. It's that this has to be stopped. So it's not Oh, you it's know, gonna stop you, eventually. Well, yes, but 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 it has to there there are ways to stop it. In fact, there doesn't even have to be a collapse. It can be stopped. It's it's a matter of um so maybe we'll come back to that. But let me let me let me come back to what you're saying about how can people hear this. So I've struggled with this as you have for a long time trying to get through to people and it's damned difficult to do. And then when I had um, irrefutable facts about this, uh, which I'll go into here. So I'm, I'm giving a presentation. I'm trying to head off the changes in Europe and I'm giving a, well, one in one, one example, I met with the Minister for Financial Markets in Sweden and his state secretary. And I was just, it was a very emotional thing for me that they would even meet with me, which isn't possible to do in the U.S. You know, being a U.S. citizen, to be able to, <laughs> to be able to talk with anyone in the government, you know. Uh, so they, they heard me uh, and they did not disagree with what, uh, uh, the veracity of what I'm going to tell you here, but they said, um, well, maybe if the Germans will stand up to this, we would not have to do this. We who? So this is what it goes. Uh, and then, then I had presented this uh, at a, a hedge fund conference in Zurich, and um, uh, the I had I had emailed every participant at the conference beforehand a personal email explaining this to them concisely the mechanism for for taking the collateral so they they all had personal emails when I did the presentation I could see everyone in the room their eyes were as big as saucers yeah. and they were taking this in and when I finished it, it, I had it down to like a half hour presentation. When I finished, there was complete silence in the room. Yep. And then they broke for coffee. And I approached different groups of people and I said, did you know, did you understand what I was presenting there? And this is a typical response. One guy said, yes. And I said, all right, well, what are what would you do about this? And he said, nothing. Single word answers. So I said, why, why would you do nothing about this? And he said, my clients don't know about. It. No, he said, he said, my clients aren't concerned about this. <laughs> and I said, they, they are. aren't concerned about it because they don't know about it. So this is... Um, this is the nature of the inertia. People um, all the way to the top of the system, you, we, we all assume that there's someone that is looking out for us or at least having the sense to look out for their own interests. But there are reasons why 
people don't do that even at high levels because it's easier it's very difficult for them to resist you know certain things will happen that all of a sudden everybody's going to get religion all right. Everybody's going to see what happened. Everybody's going to understand, you know, that, you know, something's going on. So but by then, oftentimes, because they how do you get access to it? How long does it take? Oh, it's like Germany. You know, a lot of other countries going to the United States, you know, a decade or more ago saying, you know, we want our gold back. And they go, yeah, I was here a minute ago, uh, kind of next to my heart. Well, we're going to repatriate it to you. Over seven years, you know, that kind of crap. Well, over the years, a lot of people don't know, Justin, look, how was it last year? It's like, I thought I saw 500 and something tons of gold is going to, you know, sovereign country, you know, China especially, and just buy, I mean, it's happening right, not later. And they're doing the same thing with ETFs to cryptocurrencies and Bitcoins and whatever the heck they're doing. They're turning commodities, assets, things like gold, silver, and for a lot of people that understand blockchain chain technology, have some faith in that, kind of the same thing. They're turning it all into paper with this trading, you know, and futures and funds. It don't mean nothing unless you got it. And then where do you store it? How do you do it? Then do you provide, and what's all that money for? To provide for the security of yourself and your family and loved ones, that kind of thing, which you have done. So you buying a farm in Sweden, tell us about that a little bit. One, why you did that, why you did it there, and how much more secure you feel by have done, having done it. Okay, well, uh, I'll come back to why I'm in Sweden to lead into kind of the framework for everything, Please. maybe. But, we got time. but uh, I, I would say, first of all, I would not be on a farm now if this macro situation were not so dire. You know, I would very happily live in the center city and buy my food at the grocery store. So it's just that year after year, it keeps um, pointing to the necessity to do this. And I, I know from my study of the 30s and my family history, even though both sides of my family, they had no debt, you know, they owned their homes outright. Um, they were comparatively, you know, better off, but it was very difficult for years because, um, you know, my father's side, they were engineers. And so they... The apologists for the Fed tell this happy story about the bank holiday and how that fixed the Depression in March 1933. Well, I know from family letters, three years later, the crane and hoist business, my grandfather's business, had no business three years later. So there was no miracle there. Uh, And my other grandfather, who was the surgeon, he was a real physician, especially with what he had gone through in the war. So he kept doing surgeries for people, but no one had any money to pay for surgery. So we had a chair at the uh, foot of our stairs in our house. And I remember my mother saying, yeah, someone gave that to my father for doing surgery, doing a surgery. So 
um, both sides of the family uh, had to have recourse to um, family members that had some land where they could grow food. So it can it can be like that, and we we can see the degradation of our food supply. Um, also, so I mean that's that's why I'm doing it now. Why why Sweden? So this comes all the way back to uh, the time frame you were talking about, Ernest, in 2008. I knew that there was going to be a bust then and uh, that um, there were going to be a lot of insolvencies. And I was actually quite comfortable through that because I had I had positioned for that. Uh, but in 2008, I noticed the failure of a small broker dealer in Florida in which the client accounts were not returned to the clients, which always would have been the case. They were encumbered in the bankruptcy estate. Okay, when you say always the- would have been the case until when? Uh, okay, so, so well, let me say that's when I dug into it because that just caused my brain to explode when I found that the client accounts were encumbered in the insolvency because I knew there were going to be a lot of insolvencies. So for 400 years, for the entire history of uh, since the invention of securities, they were personal property. So for a custodian to take your securities um, would have been illegal, would have been fraud. They were taking your property. Now, this is the interesting thing. People have come to accept this that this is what happens in the bankruptcy of a securities firm. That was not the case for 400 years. So how is that, how is that done? Um, you know, the, the first step, and this is where I say the planning for this, the, this scheme that I'm going to describe here, um, began over 50 years ago in the late 1960s. And this began with the imperative to dematerialize securities. So as you were pointing that stock certificate. So, but the main thing is that there's no specific identification of the owner to the certificate. So the dematerialization process was literally a CIA project. And this is not conspiracy theory. You can, you know, the primary source documents, the 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 guy who was in charge of this was a CIA operative from a young age. Um, And this is the the, was the first it's a precondition for what came afterwards. Now, you could have had book entry, electronic uh, record keeping where people still had specific identification. And that was the case in Sweden in 2008 and 2009. And that's why I came to Sweden, because I I found that uh, Sweden was one of the few places where it was still, while, while securities were dematerialized, you had a specific numbered security. So you had specific identification. 
and you had um, property rights to that security, even if the custodian failed. And that was an imperative for me. Well, that was uh, so that's something that was you know, normal for everywhere. And now it was limited to Sweden. Yes, it had been. It was so it was possible in Sweden and Finland at that point, which has now been subverted. That was the battle that I was undertaking during those five years, you know, meeting with the Minister for Financial Markets and uh, and people in Zurich trying to prevent this from happening in Europe. But they, so let me go to the next step. So you have dematerialization. The next step was this change, which you referred to earlier, the, the um, change to the Uniform Commercial Code, which is uh, uh, something that is enacted at the state level. So this could be done quietly in all 50 states. And it was the revision specifically to Articles 8 and 9 of the UCC. And how and long did that very, take? Well, I think the, the, um, the revision was in 1994. I expect it might have taken 10 years for it to be implemented in all 50 states. Be, because so, so we'll come. There were some other key things that then happened just after that to set the stage. So we're probably somewhere in the 2000s when it has been enacted in all 50 states. Now, the key thing about this operation of the UCC, I think we can see from accounts that there were probably just two guys that did that. That were the experts that knew about that, that that came up with this scheme, and the scheme was to create something called a securities entitlement, which is something that hadn't existed in the entire history of securities. And yeah, it's just like they made up, just like mortgage-backed security of this security of that security, and how it's defined. They just make crap up. Well, but this is really. This is very profound. This is um, this is the linchpin. So the entitlement means that you that is what severs your property right. The entitlement is a contractual claim. So you and this is universal now. So you no longer have property rights attaching to a specific security. You have a contractual claim. So they took something that always had been property and converted it into a contractual claim that has very weak standing in uh, the bankruptcy of the entire financial system or a specific custodian. That's by design. You're, ba- you, you're an unsecured creditor. They took the people that had the property, they make them unsecured creditors, and then we'll get to this. They took things that were contracts, which never would have had priority in the bankruptcy, and they have given those super priority in the insolvency. Which was the banks, I imagine. Yeah, they've taken contracts that never would have had standing in the insolvency and given the secured creditors behind those contracts super priority to take the client assets. 
So we'll get we'll get we'll get through how that goes. Okay. So, well, first, you know, I don't want to lose a lot of the audience and them understand because we're not all economics guys here, you know. But UCC stands for Universal Commercial Code, which was in the early 52-4, around in there, that they created this so that all the states would be kind of harmonized in their contracts and dealings with each other and be able to win, so they could have a centralized point of control. It's like, you know, they... Let's see, let's control the plant, you know, the United States of America and all the 50 states. How might we do that? UCC. So when you're talking about, I want to get back to your CIA guy before we continue, that, you know, I, I don't want to gloss over that because that, I'm like, what? I hadn't heard this, okay? So explain that in more detail. The Shire Free Church offers a sanctuary to those seeking an escape from state churches. The Shire Free Church is an interfaith, diverse group of people that may not share identical theological beliefs. As a member in or minister of the Shire Free Church, you are a sovereign individual and may be the faith of your choice. We don't claim to have all of the answers. We are open to all peaceful people. We want to learn from each other. What unifies the Shire Free Church and its diverse members is peace, love, and liberty. There are many paths to God, one for every individual. The Shire Free Church does not define a specific path beyond these parameters that must be your foundation. Peace as your way. Love as your guide. And liberty as your light. Learn more at church.shiresociety.com. That's church.shiresociety.com. Freedom's the answer. What's the question? You're listening to Ernest Hancock. This hour, Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network is brought to you by Dash, Digital Cash. Dash is a cryptocurrency designed to be used for spending. Let's talk about your positive experiences using Dash. Dash has transaction fees that are less than one cent. Dash transactions are instant, irreversible, and are protected from 51% attacks by its chain locks technology. Dash is the world's first decentralized autonomous organization. BitRefill allows for discounted purchases at national retailers. We want to thank Dash Dow for sending us 32 Dash per month to promote Dash on the air. Visit Dash.org to learn about Dash. Dash.org is one of the oldest cryptocurrencies and is widely available on exchanges and in multi-crypto wallets. It's easy to get and use. Dash. Start by learning more at Dash. Welcome back to Declare Your Independence with me, Ernest Hancock on the Free Talk Live Network on Genesis. We're getting right back to our conversation with David Webb, author of The Great Taking, thegreattaking.com. This is going to become common knowledge very quickly, and this is a great conversation about the man, David Webb, what he discovered, when, how, and the ramifications that it's going to have to every single person on this planet. This is one of the most important shows that you can forward, listen to again, and understand. I want to get back to your CIA guy before we continue. That, you know, I I don't want to gloss over that because that, I'm like, what? I hadn't heard this, okay? So explain that in more detail. Here was a guy that represented the interest of the CIA 
and what year did oh. this start to happen that they were doing this? So expand on that a little bit for me. Okay, we we know this because he wasn't shy about it. He gave he it's in his personal memoir. He gave interviews where he talked about this and had basically a sense of humor about it. Do you remember his name? Same as Bill Denser. Okay, Bill Denser is proud of what Denser. he did. What did he do? Yeah, he he was uh, started out as a young man, basically when he was in university or just out of university, um, uh, organizing anti-communist student groups in Europe. So you know, this is uh, uh, er- early days uh, post post World War II. You know, I get I probably probably in the fifties. I guess he was doing that and uh, Cold War era. So, but he w- he was working for the CIA, and the CIA uh, arranged his draft deferment, <laughs> and then he worked explicitly for the CIA. No, not hiding it at all for five years. Then he was transferred, and he used the word transferred. Not that he got another job. He was transferred right. to U.S. aid, which was operating uh, federal programs in Latin America. And we know that a lot of nice things were happening. We're going global. The- yeah, I get it. Through that period. And then in his memoir, it's kind of a shocking statement. He says, following the assassinations, his interests, his interests shifted back to the U.S. (laughs) Okay, say his name again. I got to look this guy up. That's awesome. Bill Bill Denser. I think it's D-E-N-T-Z-E-R. And so, so he comes back to the U.S., and it's not really clear what, why he's back in the U.S., but this is the, the next very strange thing. Nelson Rockefeller then appoints him superintendent of banks in New York State when he has absolutely zero background in banking or finance. He's made superintendent of banks. And from that position, he is then made the CEO of the newly formed Depository Trust Corp. Walk me through this. I just looked him up. and It's amazing serendipity, man, that you just said that. Because I put in Bill Denzer, CIA. What was the first thing that comes up? Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation. I went, why the heck would they? Why is that up there? And then you said that. He goes over to that. This is amazing. I have never heard of this guy at this link. It's it's always the CIA. I mean, you know, okay, I apologize. Continue, please. I mean, it was clear that um, they made up this, uh, they call it the paperwork crisis in um, 1968. They uh, created this story that, Handling paper certificates had just become overwhelming. So they they closed um, the New York Stock Exchange just on Wednesdays and just for six months through the end of 1968. And um, then uh, somehow things continued working just fine with paper certificates for another five years. 
or more because DTC wasn't formed until 1973. But they had created the crisis to justify dematerialization and fix that. Now, the other curious thing is that the paperwork crisis, he had mentioned the assassinations, the paperwork crisis began six days after the assassination of Bobby Kennedy. No, what's interesting is that that your documentary is going to be premiering December 9th on um, chd.tv, which is Bobby Kennedy's site, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay, so I I would imagine that you've talked to him. He knows what's up. He's run for president. You know, uncle and dad were taken out by the man, and uh, David Webb's book got read by somebody. You know what I mean? Well, I have, um, let's say I have pursued him. (laughs) I bet it wasn't a big, giant, hard, you know, uh, pursuit. (laughs) Yeah, no, I have have made a point of um, trying to communicate this to him um, because I, I believe that um, uh, as I was saying earlier, the, there's no place to hide from what we're in now. And this linkage of the money creation with the war machine, which is now a hybrid war machine and it's public facing. And um we so this this is my construct for how we can most positively address this, and we'll come back to the the irrefutable facts behind this. But if if awareness of this can be pushed all the way to the top of the system, that's what has to happen. Okay, this is where I I, I come in. Okay, this is exactly the point that I wanted to get to. It always comes down to general public opinion. If you don't have that on your side, a general awareness and understanding, it doesn't matter if you get voted into whatever, because people don't understand or made it clear that's why you were voted in, you know? So you have to have this kind of understanding, and is what a lot of us activists, a lot of people you say, Federal Reserve, you know, they're looking in the blue pages, you know, back when there was blue pages, you know, they're looking at what some government, you know, uh, entity or something. It's not. It's a private thing. Well, just, you know, explaining that to people is just, you know, they don't want to hear it. They think they know what's up. They can't understand, wrap their minds around. Uh, My clients don't care because I'm not telling them. I mean, you know, kind of thing. And all of a sudden, when people have a general understanding, we got this during the 08 and 12 election cycle with Dr. Ron Paul, that the revolution was a big awakening for an entire generation. And these were, we were involved in that. And there were young kids. These kids, they're bringing grandparents, you know. So there was a big awakening then. Then you get, you know, MAGA. And it's not even a Trump thing. It's not a personality thing. It's not that. It's us. It's the people having an understanding, you know, something wicked this way is uh, here, okay? What is it? As you're talking about Zeus and Prometheus and all, it's what it's always been, a battle between good and evil. 
people that have no conscience, people that have no empathy, people that are willing to lie, cheat, steal, and little baby body parts blown up all over whatever, to be able to get more for them, and a lot of times is really just to make sure there's less for you to resist them. So this is where we're at. If Bobby Kennedy's effort, you know, to uh, expose that just this weekend, we have an enormous revelations, you know, um, uh, uh, presentations at MIT, New Zealand whistleblowers, you know, data on the vaccine stuff. It is going to change public opinion and then it's over. Well, this is at the same time all of this is going on. We're getting the revelations that you're bringing out. And this is not unknown by a lot of people, but just like you say, a lot of these uh, people with clients said they don't care. They're making money, not making money, whatever, don't care until they care. Well, they're going to start caring in droves here directly. So I'm with you, brother. It's general public opinion based on not just telling them, explaining what happened to them, because I am of the opinion that I believe it's going to have to happen and before them to really be motivated to find out what was what. Just like with the housing crisis and everything, 08, 09, people were looking then. I mean, it was amazing how many people would bring their documents and people getting foreclosed on that had paid off houses. Why? Because it was used as collateral for something, and they just kind of a lot of this stuff. And I'm going, this is so important to understand general public opinion and how do we get that. So that's where you're going with uh, working with Bobby, but I'm just I. Do well, you just, I I go I go beyond that because please. I. Well, I think that it it is. Um, of course, general public opinion would help, <laughs> but, but this is this is the way I think of it. I've worked with people pretty at pretty high levels in the system, and. Um, I, I think it's important to imagine who your enemy is, what sort of people they are. And the first thing is they're people. They're not lizards. They're not aliens. Actual people are capable of running something like that. So it doesn't, it doesn't, you know, it's existed for a long time. So, but the people at the very top, don't do anything themselves. They are almost incapable of doing anything themselves. They are entirely dependent on a support layer beneath them to do everything for them. So my purpose here is actually to affect the consciousness of those people at very high levels in the system so that they realize, I, I don't want this to happen. I'm not going to be protected. Sure, I'm, I'm, I seem to be making a lot of money, but I will lose everything. Um, the, the other part of this is that even the people, the head of the snake, so to speak, at the very top of this, these people didn't design this. It was, it was designed by granddad or dad, and they have inherited this. And so I think it's very important when I talk about resolving this legally and peacefully, I think uh, 
you know, we talk about consciousness. We can debate what consciousness is. What we know we have is a whole lot of unconsciousness hmm. all the way through, you know, the general public opinion. And of course, the people at the top of this that I've described that don't want to know about it. So we're, we're, we're going towards some kind of a horrific moment for humanity, um, largely unconsciously. Now, that's not to say that there aren't all these um, uh, intelligence operations and military operations doing all bioweapons and all kinds of things that they are running basically out of control because they have the funding. And there are actual criminals in these organizations, but those people are not running this. They're running it within their operation, but they're not running this. If the funding stops to them, all of that stops. So it's, it's um, again, we're, we're at a moment that is, uh, it's, it's horrific. It's very, very dangerous. Um, it's a matter of how far this goes in terms of uh, how much suffering will happen. But if we can wake people up all the way to the top of the system, it doesn't even have to happen. It can be dismantled. Okay. And that, is that a faith thing, experience thing, um, you know, wishful thinking thing? Uh, uh, when you say well, maybe, go- all, all of the, maybe all of the above, but, but I think I think it's I think it is actually possible to wind down. Of of course, uh, you know, the ill-gotten gains should evaporate. You know the the entities that think they're going to run away with all the monopoly pieces, you know, they won't be allowed to do that. Uh, but they're, they're, my two basic principles are give people back their stuff. That's a basic, <laughs> yeah, <they're pretty laughs> basic economic that, principle. Right. Don't take the stuff away from the people. Give the people back their stuff. And secondly, stop hurting people. Things get better you know, pretty this fast. Is, this is coming from a guy that, you know, obviously was brought up by mom and grandparents and grand and dad and so on. Because this is, I, I've been through interviews like this before. It was some, you know, Pennsylvania, Iowa, Kansas farm boy goes to, you know, Manhattan, you know, learns all about, I want to know the, tra- I mean, I heard the story that you describe of your childhood and you wanting to know the truth and going into the financial industry and getting in the middle of the muck and realizing this stuff more times than, you know, is comfortable to me. You go there and go, well, they're doing it wrong. I'm going to do a Sarbanes-Oxley, you know, whistleblowing kind of whatever. And then you find out that wasn't a bug in the system. That was a feature. And shut up, boy. And here's, you know, a payoff or we're going to slap you around or kill you or whatever. And I'm going, this is it. We need people like you to provide the base morality for how this is supposed to be while still having the understanding of what they've done to it. So I applaud you on that. Why I'm, you know, so encouraged to, you know, talk to you and promote your book and, and uh, make sure that people pay attention to what be a common. Yeah. It's not that I'm cynical. 
I'm very optimistic about the future. And the reason that our logo is the Phoenix, Freedom's Phoenix, from the ashes of Lady Liberty's torch. But there has to be ashes. That was developed in our minds in 96. I knew what was coming. And I'm going, from the ashes will be Freedom's Phoenix. So I'm very optimistic. But to think that there's not going to be ashes, I know better, okay? And it is a natural just evolution of the fourth turning or whatever you want to call it that we're up against evil people because they're that way. They are. They have no empathy. They're gravitated towards the positions of power, the shiny badges that's always backed up by the available gun, and they get their CIA young kid out of school and squeezes biceps. Ooh, you must lift, and you want you know a shiny new car and a white picket fence and a super babe and green fees, and you'll do this. Absolutely, man, I'm your guy. You know, and they do it. And it doesn't require that many people. They are teeny tiny dots in an ocean of goodness. But our empathy and our compassion, our love, our willingness to just not worry about stuff, we just want to be left alone, is what makes us vulnerable. We are prey to these types of people and is the reason why we come together to create institutions to protect our rights from these people, but they every single time take over those institutions and beat us over the head with it. And until we realize that, and we do what you're saying, we educate ourselves on some basic fundamental principles of what is and is not. I have a right to my life, to support my life, You know, I need my hands to create stuff and, you know, the liberty to work and build. And then I have a right to the property that my hands and life created. And the government's role is to protect that. It's no more complicated than that. And those that make it more complicated with CIA guys going UCC, if I went into created and lobbied for whatever, and it's ours now, I'm like... Don't freaking care. And as soon as we have the general populace understand that this is revolutionary stuff, even if it's a revolution between the ears, but... Well, it has to start there. <laughs> start. Well, you know, absolutely. So I'm with you. I've been the peaceful activist since for I'm the love guy. Don't think I'm advocating for because it, it doesn't work. And if you got revolutionary guys with guns getting in charge of the monuments and marble in D.C., you know... Then I got other guys with guns in charge of the marbles and monuments and these. Yeah, you know, I'm not any better off. It is a personal thing. We got to be informed and ready and understand what we're fighting for and why. And that's why you're so important. Now I want to get in, you know, continue your discussion on the details of how they did it and the details of what we have to undo. Yes, yes. Let, let me just tie up one thing, and then I'll jump into that. You know, I with, with Kennedy, to me, um, I, had, I was working on this book um, as, well, it was the most important thing I could possibly do. And I was working on this before he announced that he would run for president. Yeah. And so it was kind of happening concurrently that and then I realized that what I was doing with this book could could make a difference. And when I heard him talk about things, he had said 
he he said, "Look, I'm not. I'm 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 trying to be modest about this. It's just the case." He said, "He said I'm the best qualified person to uh, address the executive agencies to reform the executive agencies because I've dealt with them from the outside." And that's what we're talking about. We're talking about the if if you have someone that can take control of all the executive agencies. So I listened to what he was saying about that. And he said, well, you take out the top 10 percent of people, the bulk of the people in the middle. And this is how how magnanimous he is. He was even saying the bulk of the people in the CIA are good people. Probably. This is the organization that assassinated his uncle and his father. He's he's he is a big tent person, which is what we needed to say. Yeah, he probably <laughs> you know, still do what his uncle said and cast it to the winds, though. I just, you know. <laughs> so so he uh, so so now further, he said. Um, what you do is you bring back in to run the, these agencies the people that have been forced out. Because as we know, the bad comes out the good. So the best people are gone. They wouldn't work there. They wouldn't be part of it. So you can if you you can find people. So the the point here is you don't have to start over from sticks and stones. You don't have to burn society to the ground. We good people have built up the infrastructure that we have so we we there there is a way to um address this without uh, a massive turnover and completely you know creating chaos we we can't have that it can be done uh, i call it the big tent where you're actually even saying to the people that are very high in the system you need help to unwind this you do not want this to go off. Nobody wants this. In fact, if you take it out and you and which we're about to do, <laughs> lay it out on the table, you'd say, this is just a really stupid idea. It needs to be seen for that, that no, no one wants this. So the, the other thing is, so I, I flew to, um, uh, I flew from Stockholm to LA just to get to an event where I could put a handwritten note in Kennedy's hand about this. Yeah. And I did that. You know, and then I, I, I did this with Mary Holland, who runs CHD for Kennedy. Welcome to Declare Your Independence on the Free Talk Live Network. It's time for Declare Your Independence with Ernest Hancock. Believe me when I say we have... A difficult time ahead of us. But if we are to be prepared for it, we must first shed our fear of it. I stand here without fear because I remember. I remember that I am here not because of the path that lies before me, but because of the path that lies behind me. I remember that for 100 years we have fought these machines. And after a century of war, I remember that which matters most. We are still here! Tonight, let us make them remember. We are not afraid! 
no fear, no fear, but we are relatively concerned. What we need to do to eliminate our fear is to have an understanding of the truth of things. Uh, we know the truth. Dot online. <laughs> Go check it out. And David Webb is here to explain why he wrote the book, The Great Taking, thegreattaking.com, and is promoting the concept that if you're invested in the stock market, if you have a mortgage, if you have documentation that goes on up by a certificate of uh, stock no fear, no fear, no fear, but we are relatively concerned. I mean, relative to what? I, death, not in destruction concerned. This is such an important show that I hope that you'll share it and go and listen to the unedited version of the full. Like, I got everything I could to give you the gist of the important part of our conversation with David Webb. But I wanted to share this with you guys because it is of such great importance to understand the retirement that you're counting on, your pensions, your 401ks, your municipal bonds, your you know, stock certificates you think you got a property right in. It's all gone. It's been already done. It's not a going to happen thing. It's an already happened thing. And David Webb has been confirming things that we've been warning, warning of for over 15 years and longer. Here we go. You have to cut off the, um, the private control of the central banks is the problem. Um, that, that has to, that is the head of the snake. Is <laughs> the private control of the central banks. So, which Argentina's if, new president said that's exactly what he's going to do. We'll see. I'm, I'm very interested in how that happens. Yeah. Well, who knows what is really happening there? I, uh, I, I don't. We're find out. There are a lot of strange. There are a lot of strange things around that, and I'm, I'm not. Uh, but, but we know. I'll, I'll just say point blank. You know, the Federal Reserve. Uh, is is at the root of all of this, um, but of course, all all central banks uh, globally are privately controlled, and if they're not, they're the countries where they are literally attacked and destroyed. Right. So, you know, it, it begins, um, you know, with what you're saying about, you know, the. I'm going to make you an offer you can't refuse. You're going to do this or we're going to kill you. There's there's the money behind that. The power source is coming from uh, from the central bank. And, you know, there's no uh, uh, I mean, it's not a coincidence that 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 is what that's what allowed World War One to happen. Uh, and the, the scale of all this that's been going on for more than a century um, the world would be uh, a much better place if they weren't running things. Well, how is it that you're, when you say, you're, we were talking and you go, you know, give it back to the, you know, quit taking it. You stole it. Give it back. Change the thing. You're doing it wrong. I'm like, wow, they'll just, they'll just uh, give up all that power and say, okay, you know, uh, they, they voted for it. Or they, I mean, they, they kill presidents. They no, they do. they do. And that's and why I mean, Kennedy, Kennedy is the real deal. 
And his father was also. His father knew, you know, what an incredible. And they're dead. Yeah, they're dead. And uh, we're going to be dead. Uh, it, it's, you know, we, we, we have to uh, go at this. Uh, I mean, you can't, you can't be afraid. Um, it, it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of power in that. If you're not, if you don't have any fear, <laughs> you have to, you have to, we, we need people like that. Um, it's, it's, but, but I, I hear what you're saying. Um, it, it seems like, well, this is pie in the sky that this could be reversed. But of course, all processes reach a point, their limit, where there is some kind of a reversal and a collapse process. So I've pointed oh, yeah. to that. It's, it's reached a, it's reached a, and I'm not talking about the financial phenomena. I'm talking about getting to the point of injuring all people everywhere, all the way to the top of the system and at the same, same time. This is the insane ultimate for this kind of control logic. And we know all totalitarian systems fail horribly, you know, a lot of suffering. And now it's being done on a global basis. It will fail. So yep. it's a matter of getting um, uh, uh, getting awareness to the highest levels, so that people can say, Come on, "We are we are we're really going to do this?" Or no. And and one analogy I use when I was in college, we had uh, taken a road trip to another school. So, you know, I didn't know these people. And uh, I was in a room with a bunch of guys. There was some drinking involved. The room was packed. And all of a sudden, I was on the floor and everyone in the room was on the floor. Something had gone off. And it turned out that one of the guys that I really didn't know well, who was with us, had precipitated this fight and so everybody got knocked down at the same time and i knew nothing about it i had no idea it was going to happen by what a bowling ball to the head i mean what are you talking about well you you had a lot of people falling over all at once the room was that crowded it was a brawl oh, okay got it all right and and that is the the so by analogy i'm saying you have a moment like that where it's about to go off and what could happen to get past that moment? There could have been some humor involved. Pretty girl might have entered the room. You know, people just get distracted and that moment does not happen. And that's the near term objective is just to get past the moment where it gets even more insane in terms of what's right. what's happening here. It, it mustn't be allowed to progress unconsciously. And once we once we get past that moment, there are all kinds of possibilities of beginning to to back down from this. I spent a long time um where you are, you know, trying to I mean, I talk about this, you know, in the documentary, I would literally go door to door trying to it was my way of trying to figure out how to get through to people. 
I learned things by doing, doing it, you know, and, uh, but unfortunately I found that didn't work. <laughs> so it's, it's a hard slog. They have to, to be, they have to be gored by the ox. They got to be motivated. They got to, something has to happen. And it's, to, it's coming for everybody. You know, it's it's a funny thing about this with, uh, you know, that you can have all your assets taken. It, it, so what I, what I did with the book, the approach is um, I, I kept conjecture out of it. It's very it's not long. It is based on primary source documents, irrefutable, a bankruptcy attorney, a securities attorney can read this and they have to agree. And um, I mean, they may they may not because they pretend they want to pretend something. But but, um, you know, I've been through that with with people at, at high levels in those backgrounds and they have to agree ultimately um so but but the other thing is i think you know this this is what lots of people have found it does not matter how much information you give to someone in fact it's counterproductive if you give people a lot of information, they just shut down. And that is what the psyops have done, whether you call it mass formation or whose explanation you want to use. It When you overwhelm people with frightening information, it drops their intelligence level. Huh. It works very well. So I had to do this in a way that would not drop their intelligence level. It would. And so it's told in a way that is very relatable in a human human way it's it's not an encyclopedia of information it's it's basically a story but a story pointing to um very very solid things that are then integrated in a way that people understand it It, there's like an aha moment where something is introduced to create some curiosity, and then they get the answer that creates a kind of of relief or delight that they now know that. And I I find when people read this, it becomes their own thinking. And so they have to, um, people have to learn to read again. Something different happens when you can read something that's kind of like a novel um to enter into it that way so so uh, i'll i'll tell you i you know i agree with reaching everybody i mean it is important to move this awareness but uh i'll just give you an, what i what i found was this started reaching people at, when, at they, when did you start this in earnest what you're talking about trying to teach i mean you think that you started developing what was going to go in the book and that you're going to make it available. How long are we talking about here? Well, I mean, going out and talking with people began after September 11th, mm. you know, I was going door to door. Then I'd come off the trading desk and try to figure out how to talk with people because my trading desk was basically, we saw everything second by second. We had to, and I could see all of the disconnects, 
as they happened, you know, that that what was in the in the news narrative had nothing to do with what was actually happening, which, of course, many people now understand, but they didn't in 2002 or 2003. So so it's been 20 years of doing that. But but the book, um, I um, I really had to drop out. For a while, I had been I had been very involved in Europe in uh, resisting the lockdowns here and the Green Pass, and met a lot of heroic people through that. Um, but then ultimately, I I dropped out, and I um, I realized that if if there was one more thing I did in my life. I had to write this book because no one else could do it. And so uh, I, I uh, finished it um, at the end of May of um, this year. It's that recent. Let me, let me just explain the full enchilada here Please. of how this, how this works. And I'll, I'll try to be concise. So dematerialization then um, the securities entitlement, which is a contractual claim. Now, what I'm going to describe here, this is how we know this irrefutably. Um, this, this framework was implemented first in the U.S., and then it was being forced on Europe to force Europe to conform to this model. And that was actually run by the U.S. State Department. Mm. So this isn't done by... The com, you know, the Chinese Communist Party or the Russians. This is being done for the highest levels of the U.S. government. Um, so, so Europe, you, the Europeans in 2002, you can see the beginnings of this, are saying, okay, yes, we agree that we have to create legal certainty for collateral and cross-border mobility of that collateral. And what they mean by legal certainty is making it legally certain that the secured creditors take the client collateral and that that cannot be challenged. So they formed something called the Legal Certainty Group to study and figure out how to subvert national law in Europe so that they could conform to this U.S. model for the mobility of the collateral. And Sweden and Finland were two of the countries that were identified as being problematic in terms of their law. Um, So this legal certainty group in uh, 2005 sent a questionnaire to um, the New York Fed, which of course is really the business and you know, the, really the center of the Federal Reserve System, the New York Fed. And in 2006, the uh, attorneys for the Fed gave a detailed response to this questionnaire ex- explaining exactly how the system operates in the U.S. So this is irrefutable. It's not conspiracy theory. This document is so important. I included it in full in the appendix but I have excerpts that for just the choice bits that explain this. And what you see is that all securities by law are held on a pooled basis. So they're fungible. There's no specific identification to the investor. 
and that the investor has no right to re-vindicate, meaning to take back the security if the custodian fails. They're trapped in this pool. They are entitled to only a pro rata share of what remains in the pool after the secured creditors take the collateral that they have perfected control. Which they define clearly, right? Well, we'll we'll get into exactly, you know, the the mechanisms for for moving control of the collateral, but you can bet it's it's happening in a, a very comprehensive way. Now, this is the important thing for people at the top of the system, really everybody, but especially people at the top of the system. And we've, you know, I've had this experience where people say, oh, well, my account is segregated. That is a subterfuge. And this Fed response makes it absolutely crystal clear that segregation does not obviate this. Segregation is only in the books and records of the lowest level custodian where the account is held. The the um, the uh, you know even even sophisticated institutions want to believe that their assets are segregated uh, at the custodian. It's it's absolutely clear if you look at this Fed response that that's not the case. The same issue is discussed in uh, in documents in Europe as well. So. Um, the the um, uh, also uh, secured creditors. This this collateral can be used without restriction, and they they call it the long established uh, um, practice of self help. That the custodians can use the client collateral without restriction, um, and. Uh, it, it's very important that this collateral is used FOP, meaning free of payment. It's literally taken and used without any consideration being given. So now we get to the next very important piece. And that was, so we're saying this was really probably completed by the sometime in the early 2000s. That's why we hadn't Prior to the financial crisis in the the great financial crisis, we hadn't started seeing the client assets being encumbered in the bankruptcy. So then we get to the case of Lehman Brothers, which was um, um, used to cement the case law around this. And I I show um, the, the opinion from the judge or the decision by the judge in the book. And... Um, what happened there it, now some people get confused about this because they say well the retail the retail accounts were fine that's not really true the the moment lehman filed that bankruptcy all accounts were frozen including all the retail accounts which wouldn't have been the the case some years Can I wait before a that lehman you know had on their books or everybody no, all of all of Lehman's. You see, there are different pieces of Lehman because it was a you know uh, a major uh, you know entity. So so retail accounts were eventually sold 
merged in with another firm. Mm -hmm. So people eventually got control of their accounts again. But for some weeks or months, they were, imagine you're in the middle of a financial crisis and meltdown and you're frozen. You're not able to do anything with your account. Well, that's what happened because they actually were encumbered in the bankruptcy estate. And uh, so people get confused about that now. But the real action, the important test case was for the hedge fund clients and mainly in London, where their collateral that they had been relying on to you be able to use, it, it was not they were not borrowing against it, but Lehman was secretly using their collateral for Lehman's proprietary trading, which is entirely legal under this system. So that when Lehman failed, JP Morgan. Now, this is the shocking thing. J.P. Morgan was the custodian for the client assets and the secured creditor that took the client assets. So it used to be that the custodian had some responsibility to the clients. Not anymore. In fact, this Fed Fed response makes it clear that even in the case of outright fraud, the clients only have a pro rata claim of what is left to what is left. So in this case, the institutional clients in the midst of a horrific collapse have their collateral taken essentially by their custodian. There are those that just want to be left alone and those that just won't leave them alone. Which one are you? The Ernest Hancock Show. Welcome back to Declare Your Independence with me, Ernest Hancock, on the Free Talk Live Network on Genesis. We're getting right back to our conversation with David Webb, author of The Great Taking, thegreattaking.com. This is going to become common knowledge very quickly, and this is a great conversation about the man, David Webb, what he discovered, when, how, and the ramifications that it's going to have to every single person on this planet. This is one of the most important shows that you can forward, listen to again, and understand. Imagine you're in the middle of a financial crisis and meltdown, and you're frozen. You're not able to do anything with your account. Well, that's what happened because they actually were encumbered in the bankruptcy estate. And uh, so people get confused about that. Now, but the real action the te- important test case was for the hedge fund clients and mainly in London where their collateral that they had been relying on to you be able to use, it, it was not, they were not borrowing against it, but Lehman was secretly using their collateral for Lehman's proprietary trading, which is entirely legal under this system. So that when Lehman failed, J.P. Morgan, now this is the shocking thing, J.P. Morgan was the custodian for the client assets and the secured creditor that took the client assets. So it used to be that the custodian had some responsibility to the clients, not anymore. In fact, this Fed... This Fed response makes it clear that even in the case of outright fraud, the clients only have a pro rata claim 
of what is left to what is left. So in this case, the institutional clients in the midst of a horrific collapse have their collateral taken essentially by their custodian acting as the secured creditor that takes their collateral. So the decision is happening five years later. So for five years, their collateral is gone. Uh, and, and the decision by the bankruptcy judge, which was in the Southern District of New York, which is Manhattan, was that J.P. Morgan absolutely was entitled to take their assets under the um, that's all right here on a piece of paper. Yep. Yeah, under safe harbor. Now this is this is the key thing. The safe harbor, um, safe harbor was expanded. What what is meant by safe harbor is safe harbor for the secured creditors to take and keep the assets. So safe harbor sounds like a nice thing, but it's safe harbor for the secured creditors to keep the client assets. Yeah, no, I mean, it's so, always like that. Safe harbor, Patriot Act, uh, you know, we love you, you know, long time bill of act of whatever the hell. Specifically, they turned it into a contractual claim. Yeah, so, but that, that was what you were left with, the actual property, the actual ownership, the actual stuff that valued the, the real thing, you know, was somebody else's. Whose? The bank? Well, what, what they who, do who got that? see this, what the, what the public has in this construct, you'll see it in your documents, it's referred to as beneficial ownership, which again, sounds like a good thing, beneficial but it is just an appearance of ownership. It means that you receive the dividends, you can decide when to buy it and sell it, and you get a proxy statement. That is distinct from legal ownership. They literally use that term. Legal ownership is different than beneficial I bet you're ownership. paying taxes on its increase in value, though. <laughs> yes. So the, the, legal, the legal ownership transfers with it as control of collateral. So it goes now. So so the the safe harbor. What that did prior to expanding safe harbor in two thousand five. So again, it was right on the eve, essentially, of the great financial crisis, so that they could demonstrate this. Um, prior to that, if if collateral was taken out on the eve of the bankruptcy. Um, and especially so if it happened at the time of the bankruptcy or it was without um, fair consideration. And this is being transferred out literally with no consideration, free of payment. Um, the, so, so a number of things here would have said that this is outright fraud. And it would have been the case that it was outright fraud prior to 2005 to take the client assets in the bankruptcy or in the eve of the bankruptcy free of payment. So they've enabled that now. It's basically theft. A classroom of 12-year-olds would say that should be illegal. That can't be allowed. So but they totally agreed. You clicked on the a, iTunes agreement. 
I clicked I agree. I guarantee it's written in there. The same thing happened, what was it, MF Global, Jared, Gerald Salente is on the show regularly, and I remember what happened to him. He goes up, he wants to do some futures contract, he got a deal, and he's going to take delivery of some gold or something with MF Global, and then the Greece debt thing, whatever, and MF Global, yeah, I think it was MF Global, they took, was it Diamond or, or whoever, they, them, those, one of those guys, and they go in and they say, you know what, um, we're using your money as collateral for that, it's gone. So it's called rehypothecation, and it said so right there in the document. I totally agreed, signed, whatever, and get over it. And I guarantee that if you look at these documents, as I'm sure you have, that they have the right, the ability to do this because they are the ultimate owners. So my question to you is, if I have a beneficial right, which don't mean nothing other than I got to pay taxes on however much money I made. But then at the very end of the, the great reset, that be a coming, when that happens and somebody else has it and they go, it's ours now. Who is that? What level? Where does that go? Now now we'll get, now we'll get to the rest of the story. So, so it's um, what they, what, so what you have is, uh, I'll, I'll say in the European context, it's a central securities depository. That's what DTC is. Yeah. That's where the record of ownership is. Then the securities are passed up to a higher level, which is where the pools are. In Europe, that's an international central securities depository. At DTC, it's still within DTC. But then the collateral is being uh, transmitted to the central clearing counterparties, which house the derivatives complex. That's where this is all going. So another thing they did with the financial crisis, the great financial crisis, was they created this story that, well, we're going to reduce risk by central clearing all the derivatives. It used to be that you had a counterparty you know, the counterparty was another corporation or was a bank or, you know, but you knew it was distributed risk and you knew who the counterparty was by by. So they created a regulatory imperative that the derivatives needed to be centrally cleared. So they had to have all this customer collateral funneled to underpin the derivatives complex. Um, so there's there's a very important chart in the book. It's a flow chart showing the collateral going from the collateral givers, they use that term, to the collateral takers. And at the bottom are the central clearing counterparties. So at the top are all custodians, including, you know, equity desks. So it's and and the this document, it's a Bank for International Settlements document. It's over 10 years old. So this has been this is well developed at this point. They talk about this, that the they they have uh, global views of the collateral. There's a collateral management system with a global view of all the collateral and um, the intention is to have automatic mobility of this collateral, especially in a crisis. Uh, so the, there will be calls for this collateral. It will be transmitted to the central clearing counterparties. Then you look at the next step, 
the central clearing counterparties, there are discussions about the possibility that those will fail. Um, they, they, in their own documents, they're saying that with the failure of one clearing member, one or two clearing members, the central clearing counterparties can be, begin failing. Um, now, here's the problem. There are a couple of problems with that. They're also, they're Only very thinly. <laughs> so, so, so depository trust that underpins the entire securities complex in the U.S., the capital is only $3.5 billion of capital. So what they have done is said, we don't, and this is their own document. To cover how much? Or we talk ballpark. Trillions? I oh, mean, well, well, it's underpinning... Uh, you know, the bulk of the entire derivatives complex, Which as well as quadrillion, gazillion dollars. I mean, yeah, yeah as well as, as all of the uh, securities in the U.S. and and other countries as well that are registered in the U.S. So it's it's an absurdity. Um, so they they have said in their own documents, we don't think it's appropriate to put more capital in the loss waterfall but so we have pre-funded the startup of a new central clearing counterparty when one of these fails. Now, what will happen then, <laughs> this, is, this is the nightmare. Uh, in, um, we're at very lofty levels in the financial system with this bubble. And part of... Part of how it could possibly be held up at this level is that institutions believe they've hedged their risk. How did they hedge their risk? In the derivatives market, who is their counterparty? The central clearing counterparties. It's all on the balance sheet of the central clearing counterparties. So let that sink in. Then when the central clearing counterparty fails, it is, and this is again in the Fed response to the Legal Certainty Group, secured creditors of a clearing, um, uh, a clearing entity, always have priority to client assets. So you can bet that J.P. Morgan is one of those. There will be. It's basically the the biggest banks. And it will only be certain portions of the biggest banks that are designed to survive this and collect collect uh, essentially everything, all collateral. So that's why I go back and explain that in the 1930s, this is what was done when all the when all the banks were closed and you create a massive decline in price. You know, the, the confiscation of the gold from the public was done under the pretense that the Fed had to have the gold in order to expand credit. But then they didn't expand credit. They hoarded the gold. They kept conditions tight. The main thing was they did not want a parallel economy developing with the public using the gold. Which is what cryptocurrency represents. It represents no third party. It represents people money. It represents they don't need them. Hell no. But they're going to go to a central bank digital currency using the technology. And anything other than that is counterfeit. Guarantee it. Just FYI, I had to say it. 
Well, yeah, it is. It is going to. I don't. I don't spend a lot of time talking about this CBDC because lots of people talk about it, but it's clearly going to that. The framework that enables this is actually very simple. I mean, it's shocking for the audacity of it. Um, you know, taking people's collateral without their knowledge, free of payment, and and so what people have to understand when it's lost, it's not because the client or you or or the institution that's investing for you has used that collateral. Uh, uh, it it is it is another entity that is secretly taking the collateral, and when that entity becomes insolvent, you lose your asset, even though you were not using it. So say it this here piece of paper that your CIA guy did with the UCC of we did it and wrote it down and you totally agreed. I, I'm, I'm telling well, it's, you, it's that clear it, to me. It's, it, it, you know, so I say it's a variant. It's an intelligent design, but it's insane because it's it is. Uh, you you can see they've just extended the logic all the way to the point of saying, well, we're going to have to take everything from everyone, but they don't stop to consider, well, how is that going to go for you? They don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's where you and I, you know, differ on the, 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 you're assuming these guys see the point that I'm making with uh, these other connections politically and all this kind of stuff. When this happens, when the Great Reset happens, when Klaus Schwab gets his, you know, and if you know who these guys' names are, it ain't them. They're just they're just window dressing. They're just insulation. You know, where it really happens is you don't know who they are. You know, but what happens is when this happens, somebody's going to have to unravel this. Somebody's going to have to take their rubber stamp and go, boom, this is official. Now this is yours. You can release that. If the courts say, we told the judge that I guarantee these judges aren't going to know what the hell you're talking about. They're going, what? They didn't even know this stuff existed. They go, I got to bring in an expert witness of David Webb explain it to me. So they're just going to rubber stamp whatever some prosecutor, politician that appointed them, whatever. Can you imagine the Biden administration overseeing this? Oh, my God. You know, oh, yeah. well, that's what they're relying on is that the people will say, well, this is just how it works. You know, this has been in place for 20 years. <laughs> yeah. and this is the system we have. Um, the, the problem is all the, the judge is going to lose everything. The prosecutor is going to lose everything. The the people all the way. No, no, to don't the be top. Made We'll give you a little something, something. Don't worry about. It. Okay, I want to bring one, one more thing before we finish. In the introduction, at some point, this is how high level David Webb is. I should have brought this up earlier. As he's doing and been successful and understands and the smart guy on the block and knows what's up and the young go getting whatever. Somehow you wind up with a meeting with George Soros. And you go into George Soros and you say, brother, what's up? Let me tell you what's up. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, tell us about that and what you think was you know behind his response. Which story are we talking about? Meeting Which... with George Soros and explaining yeah, this. I met, to him. I met him a couple of times, a couple of different, couple of different situations. But the, um, I mean, the one time, the first time, was I was showing him, I just brought into the meeting this one page showing 
that this is during the dot-com bubble, the capital spending had gone through, you know, five standard deviations above the mean, which is something that never happens in any phenomena, really. So it had never it had never in history gone above three standard de- deviations above the mean, which just means, you know, this is just something that has uh, has blown out to unprecedented levels. And what I what I was pointing out was we were going to have a historic bust in in capital spending. Uh, um, be, and we all know about how insane all these companies were that didn't even have yep. real businesses. So he looked at this and he looked it up at me and he 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 smiled and he said, this is very good. And then he looked at it again and he looked up a second time and he said, this is very good. (laughs) I think I think he he might have appreciated that it was just such a concise analysis and what the implications were. But then after that. You know, I was saying we were going to have this uh, uh, epic bust, and he was saying, um, he said they cannot allow the equity culture to fail. And that was significant because he used the word they. He was referring to a they. And um, And those won't leave us alone. When he, you don't think that he was part of it or he was benefiting from it, you know. So when you well, say they can't let the stores, equity market, the confidence in uh, the, the system go, that is, you know, what do you think he's referring to? George Soros is, you know, like uh, Bill Gates, their face people. Now, he's a smart, smart guy, but you just have to look at the scale of it. At that time, Soros management was $7 billion, which sounds like a big number for one guy to be running. Seven billion dollars is nothing in the scheme of things. Yeah. And you know, now it's like seventeen billion. So it's it's you know, the idea that George Soros is controlling the world is just you know, again, it's like a Klaus Schwab character. He is he is being, you know, he's being made a poster child for a certain kind of thing. You know, that doesn't mean he's a good guy or a bad guy. He's just a guy. Um, it's, eh, bad guy. <laughs> well, I'm just saying you have to, you have to, he's you have to, you have to understand that these are just people. Yeah, no, I under, I understand that. And, and what gives them power is what I really am so drill on so much. It's not. You know, some great company, you know, oh, they got a monopoly. Good. That means they served a bunch of people. They like it. And, you know, Elon Musk has got a monopoly on, you know, freaking SpaceX, on space, putting stuff in space. Good. You know? Well, when it's a, all of a sudden the government comes in and all of a sudden Bezos has got a monopoly because you're not allowed to compete or he's got a monopoly on drone delivery because you're not allowed to do it. You know, that's, well, that's a government a monopoly. You know, these people like Bezos and Elon Musk, they are basically um, face people for intelligence-backed um, initiatives. Um, yeah. So Zuckerberg, yeah. Brent, you know, the money, behind them, the money behind them is an unlimited torrent of 
created money and they're really intelligence operations. Yep, 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 yep. Okay, I wanted to, you know, I, I still wanted to get in your, your book thing here, the point that I wanted to make. When you created the documentary, of course, the book, the documentary, you um, uh, put the teaser up on, well, I don't know if I call it documentary, it's more of a teaser for the book, but you, you go ahead and you put that up, you have the book available for download as a PDF, ebook. book I mean, you go, boom, the goal is that I got enough money, I got, you know, I got my, uh, you know, I, I, I'm feeling pretty good, I got my, I got my, ha- I got my house, you know, on the uh, uh, Swedish fa- uh, farm here, and I'm, I'm good, okay, you know, and uh, so when you did this, I want to get to it so I can see your pretty place here. But the um, uh, when you did that, why? What was behind? What was your thinking that you were going to make this available for people? Yeah, there it is. You know, that's not your play. I just pulled this off the internet. But that yeah. you're saying that's it actually very similar to what a, it looks like. It's quite a bit like that. <laughs> there, there are so many houses like that here. You know, any final words you want to say? I, I, I agree with you. You, you want to get into a resilient position, but then turn your attention to how to spread the awareness of this. It begins in your own mind first, and then affecting the minds of others. That's what we have to do. David Webb. The great taking, <laughs> thegreattaking.com. David, thank you very much for coming on. This was awesome. I appreciate your patience and you giving us the extra time because it really was important to me that we had this conversation. And I feel better that we were able to share this. And hopefully we did you justice and that you were able oh, to express great. yourself fully. Yeah, Ernest, thank you so much. It was it was very interesting. A real conversation. Yes, it was. Thank you very much. Stay in touch and we'll be in touch, you know, on this issue for us being able to do this. We wanted to make sure that you knew that we have the mechanism by which to promote what you're doing and scare the crap out of people, you know, and get them to made you look, made you look, made you look, made you look. So we're going to work with you on that. So be open to that, would you please? Thank you very much. Peace. All right. Thank you, Ernest. Bye-bye. If you want to move to the free state and you're looking for some real estate, well, I know a guy who's really great. It's the Realtor Mark Warden. Now you can learn more about the awesome things happening here in New Hampshire in our march toward liberty in our lifetime. Our friends at Porcupine Real Estate are hosting a series of webinars to educate you on the expanded freedoms enjoyed by New Hampshire citizens. Reserve your seat today at move.freetalklive.com. Topics include gun freedom, medical freedom, and political freedom victories. They also have a couple on best practices for moving to the free state and finding housing. These webinars are super helpful and free to attend once you've registered at move.freetalklive.com. Visit their YouTube channel, Porcupine Real Estate, for videos from past presentations and sign up for upcoming webinars for free at move.freetalklive.com. Porcupineralestate.com